The wilderness can be a very scary place for lots of reasons. But if last week's word was get ready, this week's word is get real. At least that's what he teaches me. John the Baptist is a strange person. He's the guy who takes religion over the top. He takes it to an extreme. He's the really weird uncle who shows up for holiday out gatherings in weird outfits and he has no filter. The one you say, oh no, what is he going to say next? But why do all four of the Gospels have at their beginning this strange character, John the Baptist? Every Advent, every Advent, on the second and third Sundays of Advent. So we're not quite done with John the Baptist yet. We're going to see him again next week. Every Advent, second and third Sundays of Advent, every year, John the Baptist shows up from every gospel. He is the foremost figure of Advent, in fact. Not of Christmas, but of Advent. And so he shows up for us this morning. He, he shows up in the midst of all of our preparations for Christmas, and it kind of like sets us off center a little bit. And like, what are you doing here? But this is the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken of through, was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John is on the fringes. He's in the wilderness. Most people don't go to the wilderness. Most people don't go to the fringes. Most people go to the city centers. Most people go to seek and hobnob with the powerful. They avoided the wilderness at all costs. But the text tells us something really amazing. It says, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. So think about what that means. People left the comforts of home they left the safety of the city center and they journeyed to the wilderness to this strange person. We have to ask the question, why? Why would they go and hang out with this unattractive person? I mean, think about it. First of all, John identified as poor. Camel hair that kind of clothing, a camel hair smock, was the typical attire of the poor Bedouins of that day and even for our day as well. 
Locusts, with whatever honey you could find, was the food that people who could barely scrape together meals, that's what they ate in real life for them. So he's identifying as poor. Secondly, he was powerless. He was really actually a nobody in the larger scheme of things. He was powerless, and he really didn't have any place of power. Wilderness isn't about power. Thirdly, he was simply odd. He was an odd fellow. He's a strange character, even for that day. He's wearing these clothing, and he's coming like a prophet. For prophets often were those who skipped to the beat of a different drummer, and that is definitely what he was. And then lastly, his message was hard. It was demanding. Who wants to go hear that? So why did they come? I think they came because of the wilderness. Could it be that these Jewish pilgrims, because that's what they really are, could it be that they came to the wilderness because of their memory? Their memory about God. Because they remember another time when they went to the wilderness and God met them and brought them out of the empire of Egypt. And he delivered them in what we call the Exodus. Could it be that they went out hoping just maybe, just maybe, they thought God would do it again, offering them a new Exodus? Offering them a new way to go? I mean, John said, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Quoting Isaiah. And could it mean that there is a new exodus for you and me? In this passage, we walk into the wilderness with John and we are reminded that the kingdom of God is actually for the wilderness. You see, the kingdom of God is for the wilderness of sin. Now, Right at the start, we enter the most dangerous wilderness of them all. We enter the wilderness of our hearts, of the heart of mankind. It says in verse 6 that they came confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So think about that. Could it be that people flocked from an entire region as well as the center of power, Jerusalem, it's listed, because in spite of their comfort, in spite of their position, in spite of the safety of life outside the wilderness, they could not escape the wilderness of sin in their hearts. And they wanted relief. I mean, look what it says. It says these people came and they were confessing their sins. They were speaking the same thing with God. They were agreeing, God, we are sinful people. But this voice, this strange prophet's voice, offered the hope that there was a way to face that wilderness. There was a better way to deal, not with the oppression of the Roman Empire that they sensed every day they walked down the street, but with the oppression of the empire of their hearts. And so, yes, this prophet John cries out in the wilderness, and he offered a way to straighten out the rough wilderness roads of the heart so that they would point to God's highest and best good. He said, you want to straighten things out? Here's the way. 
His message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was the way. And this is why they came to the wilderness to find the way out of the wilderness of sin. And the truth is, the real business of Christmas is just this, is it not? This is the business of Christmas. This is what the hoopla is about. This is what we find from the lips of the angel. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's the whole story. If we miss that, we miss it all. And so what John is doing, he's, he's, he's helping them live the story that was always intended, that we call Christmas. So you see, these people came to the wilderness. They came to get real about their sin. Secondly, there's the wilderness of empty religion. Now, someone probably should have coached John on how to build up a crowd. How to create a mass following. You know, if you want to create a following, John, we, we need to give you a couple things. At least one of the lessons would be welcome those who come to hear you preach with gentleness and tact. But I think he missed that lesson. Because our text goes on and says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, let me translate that. When he saw many of the people who looked the most religious in their world, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Why don't you put that on your Christmas cards this year? <laughs> you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do, not, do you not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father? I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I just read this this week from Fleming Rutledge. She said, I've never seen an advent calendar that you open up with children with all the nice little figures, with one like with John the Baptist. And there's never, John the Baptist doesn't show up in those nice, cute, there's not a little piece of chocolate in the shape of John the Baptist, Right? But, but we need to ask the same question that we asked of the crowd that came that was confessing their sins. We need to ask the same question of these religious types, these Pharisees. Why did they come? Why did they come out to the desert? Were they serious about seeking God? Apparently, John knew something we don't know, and he didn't think they were because he called them, you brood of vipers, if you ever want to get rid of an annoying guest, I guess this is a good strategy. Hey, you snake. You bunch of snakes. But why confront them? They're seekers, aren't they? Let's remember that the Pharisees were politically savvy. And they intentionally gravitated to the powerful and the positioned and obviously, they have gotten wind of what's happening, this commotion in the wilderness. And maybe, just maybe, and this is what I believe anyway, maybe they just wanted something of John's message. Maybe they just wanted a little bit to make them feel better, to maybe clear their conscience a little bit. Maybe a, a little religion here and a little confession here and a, and a little music here and a little... They just wanted to feel good while still looking good. But they were hiding behind religion. 
He said, John says, don't tell me you're children of Abraham. They're just hiding behind a label of religion, a name of religion. I think they are there because they wanted a little cheap grace. You may remember cheap grace, the famous phrase that came out of World War II from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor who was imprisoned and eventually killed by Hitler's henchmen. He said this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. I think that's what they were after. It's described this way by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They will act religious, but they have all kinds of reasons to reject the power that will make them godly. In our devotional that we're looking through, and there's a couple left if you haven't picked one up, Born the King, Albert Hung writes this. We can have the appearance of faith without any meaningful relationship with God. We can follow the letter of the law while violating the spirit of the law. We can talk the talk without walking the walk. We can enjoy the, Christmas, the trappings of Christmas without worshiping the Christ child. And that is what John was confronting. John loved those people so much. He loved those Pharisees. He loved those religious types so very much that he was willing to confront them about their empty, nominal religious practice and offer them a way to true faith in life. He says to them, again, he said to the initially, repent. He says to them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, act on your religion in such a way that it actually changes your life and makes a difference in the world that it changes you. And that is what John is saying. And so we see that they came, but they needed to get real about empty religion. And then there's the wilderness of life as a whole, because the wilderness here is certainly an important setting, but it's also a real metaphor for us. The truth is we live in the wilderness of life, as has been referred to. Life itself is a wilderness, but that is why the people came. And it's why we come. On any given Sunday, in a beautiful sanctuary such as ours, we fill seats with our fears and our hopes and our responsibilities and our doubts and our failures and our sins. One of the most dangerous places you could walk into during the week, one of the most dangerous places you could ever walk into is a sanctuary like this. And the reason that's true is because the very act of worship itself invites the examination of our lives. It can't help. If you're truly going to worship and, and lift up your heart to God, and, and we're, if we're really going to want the light of the world that we just sang about, that invites examination of our lives. Those points that are filled with the frightening darkest, those truths about ourselves that are unnerving shadows, those places in our souls that are filled with the thorns of loneliness, those sins that are the wolves in the wilderness that devour us. And that is exactly the nature of the environment the people ventured to. Loneliness and wolves and shadows and darkness. 
They went to the wilderness. And we do as well. Those people running to John the Baptist were hungry for something. They were hungry for change. And they were hungry to be rid of their sin. Those people heard the message they needed. It was not another religious practice. It was not another religious formula. It was not simply a nominal religious showing. They were offered so much more by this locust-eating, camel-hair-clad stranger. Verse 11 says, John said to the crowd, to everyone there, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And, and so they, they came wanting to deal with the wilderness of their sin, and they, and they came wanting to have him speak into their lives. And some came thinking they were going to get one thing, but they were being challenged about the nominal nature of their religion. But do you see it? They came, and they were offered to get real with Jesus. And here's what we got to remember. And this strange December 8th passage of Scripture, Jesus is in the wilderness with us. I guess the point today is to ask one question of you, of me, of us. Who are you in this text today? You see, when you're reading your Bible, if you're just going to read it and blow through it and get through it, you're going to miss so much of it. If you don't stop sometimes and say, who am I? in this, especially when you come to the narratives of the Gospels. Who am I in this text today? And that is an important question because in truth, Advent is a season in the wilderness. Advent is the one season in the year where we purposely walk into the wilderness. It's a season to examine our own wilderness and the wilderness around us as we prepare for Christmas. Or as I said last week, if we don't do that, then we really, we lose the reason for the season. In Advent, we intentionally acknowledge that all is not well in the world. That's what we do during Advent. And we do that so that we can rejoice in how all can be well in Jesus. So in this wilderness called Advent, we must ask ourselves some questions. Who are you in this text? Am I the person looking for deliverance from the wilderness of sin? Am I the person who wants just enough religion to be respectable or to make me feel good, but not a relationship that takes over my life? Am I the person sitting in the wilderness of this sanctuary longing for change? You see, Advent is a time for us to walk into the wilderness of our world and our lives and our very hearts. But here is the really good news about Advent and about all of this. Verse 11, one who is more powerful is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And here's what's beautiful. 
there is a power from outside of you and from outside of me. I don't have the power to deal with the wilderness. But we just heard in the song and in this text that there is a power that comes from outside of us to come within us, to meet us in the wilderness so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. How perfect of a song is that? We don't have to be afraid about bringing the worst of our sins to God. We don't have to be afraid by being honest about our religious nominalism, the emptiness of our religion. We don't have to be afraid to come to him in the wilderness of our loneliness and our doubts and our fears and our grief and our pain and our sorrow and our heartache and our failure, whatever the wilderness is. We don't have to be afraid. You see, Advent is the time for us to acknowledge and examine the wilderness and Christmas is Jesus joining us in the wilderness. These people in the wilderness, well, they were offered Jesus, and that is who you and I are offered this morning as well. And it might just be that we need the wilderness. We curse the wilderness, but maybe we need the wilderness. Perhaps it is in the wilderness that I learn best to prepare my heart and my life for the Lord. How must I, how must, must I be preparing to allow Jesus to be king of my life? How are the wilderness places shaping me to open my life to his way? Maybe, just maybe, it is the hardship and struggle and honesty of the wilderness that causes me to get real with Jesus and with myself. Because you see, it's, it's a fine line when we're in the wilderness. The finger can go one of two ways. We can point at the world or others. Or we can look at ourselves and let God do the work of the wilderness. Because it is here that I can get real about experiencing a new exodus, a new way out of the desert of doubt and sorrow and loneliness and sin. In the wilderness, we get real. There I get real about my sin. I get real about any religious hypocrisy or nominalism or emptiness. I get real about my need to trust God, to really trust him for what only God can do. All of that happens in the wilderness. So as we move through Advent, one rhythm we've established over the years is that we come to the table of communion during Advent. But especially today with this word, this table is such good news to us because the table reminds us that in his birth, Jesus joined us in the wilderness. And it reminds us that in his death, he rescues us from the wilderness. In Hebrews 2, the message paraphrase says it this way, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. He would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. So today, as we prepare for communion, in a moment, I'm just going to invite you to be still in silence, just for a moment. You're going to hear the beautiful notes of the flute playing that beautiful Christmas song, All is Well. 
What I need to ask you today, the question is, is that true for you? Is all well? I invite you to examine your wilderness. Where are you in relationship with God? Where are you? Are you getting real with Him? What is it that you need to confess if there's anything? Is there anything you need to confess to Him? Is your faith commitment all talk and no walk? Where is the wilderness where you are feeling most alone, most vulnerable, most in pain? Where do you need God to help you with what only God can help you with? And in what ways is it time for you to change and live a new way? No more excuses to get real. So I want to invite you this morning for just a few moments to prayerfully sit in silence in God's presence. Speak to Him as you must and prepare for the Lord's Supper. Let us be silent and let us be still and let us be real. To you, O Lord, we bring our real lives. Troubled, broken, or at ease. May we get real with you and with ourselves. Meet us in the shadows and show us your light. Remove the thorns of loneliness and show us that we are not alone. Rescue us from the wolves of sin and set us free to live for you. Deliver us from the wilderness. Deliver us in the wilderness. Show us your better way. Teach us your true path that we may walk with you more closely in a real relationship with you. And do this until the day you return and make all things right. In Jesus' name.